Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode five, season two. All right, so if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Bienvenue. Thanks for coming. If you have been listening for a while, what am I about to say? Say it with me. Don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. While you're there, you'll be like, oh my God, look at this amazing food and product photography. Yeah, I do it for a living. So if you need photos for food, product, hell, electronics, I don't care, anything, I'm your gal, shoot me an email. If you have questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you have culinary sleuthing of any kind that you need, I'm on the case. Send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, I love seeing all of your food adventures, so tag me in them at Let's Go on a Food Adventure on Instagram, and I'll repost everything. All right, you guys, pack your bags. Let's go on this food adventure right now. Oh, it's so cold outside today. <laughs> it's so snowy and it's so cold. Oh. We know how I feel about this. I won't go into it in deep detail, but we got, as you know from last week's episode when I said we were getting a fuck ton of snow, we got dumped on, like over two feet of snow in 24 hours. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I'm just staring at massive piles of snow everywhere, but it'll melt. The sun will come out. Well, it's already out. I was going to sing the Annie song, but I won't. I won't do that to you. Um, And I got in the mail today, which is very topical for what we're about to talk about, um, some seeds from a seed company that I really like in in New York. So I'm quite excited about it. This chef called, uh, called, (laughs) the chef Dan Barber, he has this uh, very famous farm in New York, uh, upstate New York, Hudson Valley-ish New York called uh, Blue Hill Farm and this incredible bucket list kind of restaurant experience called the um, Stone Stonehill Stonehouse Stonehouse I think it's Stonehouse yeah Stonehouse at Blue Hill Farm anyway they have a seed company called Row Seven Seeds and uh, he's doing some amazing things on his farm in beautiful and sustainable ways. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, last year, last year, two years ago, got seeds from them. Last year, I got seeds from someone else. So this year, I got more seeds from them, and I'm quite excited about it. I can't wait to see what really cool things come out of my garden this year. And now when I'm buying seeds to sow for spring, it just brings me so much joy because I know that this winter, like, there's hope. (laughs) 
cold will stop and warmer weather will come eventually. Um, and the other good thing is right now, the days are getting a snudge bit longer. So there's that. And I, I will put that as a win in, in my column. Um, but today, this is, this is all going to make sense in a moment because today we're talking about something that, you know, I always say is very near and dear to my heart, but this truly is. And it's something that I've um, been taught at a very, very young age by my parents who are extremely passionate about this as well. Just being environmentally conscious, conscious, but also like, you know, I very young at a young age w really understood because of my parents and their passion for it, like what the our environmental impact as humans are on this planet. And, you know, I'm a very firm believer in global warming and carbon emissions and really trying to make all efforts to reduce and lower my own carbon footprint as well as I drive a hybrid car as well as me and my husband Todd we talk about it all the time of like how can we reduce our waste how can we reduce our consumption what can we do even small things like turning off the faucet when you're in between washing dishes you know and like trying not to waste so much water and not taking super long showers and like when you're brushing your teeth, turn off the faucet, like little things like that on top of obviously like shopping local. Uh, I, I mean, I can keep going and going and going. And my guest and I were about to, uh, who I'm going to introduce in a second, we go into great deal about this and things that he's very passionate about and things that I share, we share the same passion for. And uh, I just think it's a really cool conversation. So I hope your bags are packed. I hope your passport is up to date because my friends, today we're going to jolly old England and we are going to talk to uh, a friend of mine and this is going to be another two-parter. So this is part one of our two-part conversation. So strap on in and let's go. All right. So my guest today, he has a big heart and just an all-consuming passion for all things self-sufficiency and homestead living, from raising animals to growing all of their own food, foraging, and I'm not just talking for mushrooms, but for so much more than that, and really financial and food security, and so, so, so much more. So please welcome to the podcast, Carl from the Self-Sufficiency Hub podcast. Hi, Carl. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? I'm so good. Happy New Year. Yeah. And to you and the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. I am. This is like such a gift to talk to you now at the start of the new year, because I feel like it's so on topic for what so many people are trying to achieve and do. You know, I have totally cleaned out my house in the last two weeks and threw away stuff that uh, I've been holding on to for, oh gosh, five, six years that has expired beyond ex expiration and like <laughs> decluttered. And I mean, like not necessarily food products, um, more like skincare products and things that in my past life, I would always be using. I mean, I had not that you care about this, but I had makeup from seven years ago and 
in makeup world, most people throw that stuff out within six months to a year if you don't use it because it goes bad. So, oh wow, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because you also so the. Well, I, I've got I've got exactly two I've got exactly two bottles of aftershave, and one is probably <laughs> three years old, and the other is probably closer to ten. <laughs> oh yeah, so that ten-year-old one I think should go for a ride in the country, and the three-year-old one if it start it's like okay, so aftershave very similar to cologne or perfume fume um there's high alcohol in it so that helps sterilize stuff but the scent itself will degrade over time and so if it starts smelling a little off-putting um that's what it needs to go for a ride in the country I, I wouldn't have a clue what it smells like i can't remember the last time i went near it <laughs> okay great so those should get go go get donated but the 10-year one's going for a ride in the country which means it's getting pooed <laughs> because no one no one should be wearing 10-year-old aftershave so but a lot of people are doing like healthy things for themselves, their bodies, their minds. They're making all of these beautiful affirmations and promises and like, you know, laundry lists of things they want to achieve for the year. And I think one of those things is a very big topic that's near and dear to your heart as well as mine, which is talking about being more sustainable. And you, my friend, I mean, we're going to get into it in a hot minute, but you are like, I am bow down to you. You have got it. <laughs> it's it's amazing what you're doing. So we'll get into that in a second, but I think we need to just kind of go way, way back for our listeners yep. and talk about where you're from originally and how you grew up. Okay. Well, I grew up in a uh, very, very poor family. We lived in a council house, my uh, single parent family, lots of kids. And wait, what's uh, a council house? Hold on. What's a council house? Council house is is, um, basically public housing, I think you'd call it. Oh, okay. 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 And, um, you know, there was no, no two ways about it. You know, money was very, very in short supply. And uh, I was quite a rebellious child. I was not one to be tamed easily by any I just didn't really care about the consequences of anything, neither from my mother or from the the state or anyone else. I just did my own thing. And I I left house at the age of 16, lived in a tent for about six months. And that whole period really sort of shaped my my life and my will and my independence. I've always been super independent and really comfortable relying on myself if that makes sense, you know, it's very, I I will ask for help, but it's not very often I feel that that the urge takes me to ask for help. I'm far more inclined to just figure out a way of doing it myself anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, but uh, other than that, I kind of, you know, I lived a very, very ordinary existence, grew up, got some throwaway jobs, if you like, Uh, Mm -hmm. finally fell into being a builder and I'm currently in my mid forties and I've spent all my life just bouncing around the place till I met my wife around 18 years ago now, something like that. I think we've got our 18th wedding anniversary this year. And you think? Then I, I love that. You might want to do the math on that one when you write the card out or uh, uh, no, we're, celebrate. We're both, we're both super chilled about it. We okay, ask cool, each other cool. all the time. Like how many years is it? I, I never forget the day, just the number of oh, years good. sometimes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, then I sort of settled down. I've got children now, three teenagers, or my youngest is about to become a teenager. And with, as most of you, or 
a vast portion of your listeners will be aware when you have children there's this sense of responsibility and growing up kind of just hit me and uh, like I say I was a builder and always paid the bills and what have you and then we were just given this opportunity around three and a half years ago and up until this point my relationship with food was very similar to most people apart from the fact that maybe I considered myself to be a a pretty good chef and I was you know I was very much into food and good eating and we would eat a lot of home cooked meals I would cook most of them but that was just a hobby it was just something I loved something I was passionate about but then about three and a half years ago one of my clients as a builder she owned several properties and we were basically renovating a property for her to move into and it was this lovely four-bedroomed thatched house with an eight-acre garden and we were doing all the renovation work on it and then just before she moved in literally in the days or a couple of weeks running up to her moving in her aunt died and she decided on a whim oh actually I'm going to buy my aunt's house and live there instead anyway so oh wow yeah so she she turned to me and and at this point my wife and I had purchased our first property and we obviously had a mortgage on it it was a very very normal three bedroom terraced house with an average sized urban garden mm-hmm. and this uh this lady turned to me and said look you know I've done the house up I've done it for me to live in I don't really just want to rent it out to anyone would you like to live there at a massively reduced rent and we were basically able to rent our property out and move into the property we're currently in now that what we call the homestead mm-hmm. and it not cost us anything so we were just given this amazing opportunity and within days of being here I think partly because of my upbringing my background I just felt this immense sense of urgency not to allow the opportunity to be wasted and it was I was very conscious I didn't want anyone I didn't want a a hypothetical person to sort of look over the fence and think they're wasting that space they've got this opportunity because I knew how precious it was and I wanted every single square meter of the garden to be used and to do something so Mm -hmm. before very long at all we were fencing off paddocks and bringing in goats and then there's a little woodland and we thought well we can put pigs in there and then we grow a vegetable garden and it just it just grabbed me it grabbed me in a way I've not been grabbed before and it just took over you know, it's all I think about and all I want to do wow. is, is the idea of it stemmed from the idea of not wasting the space. But then it became this idea of being as self-sufficient as possible. Not the, the idea of being completely self-sufficient for anyone thinks I'm a hippie and I, you know, wear clothes that I've made myself out of grass. <laughs> that's that's not the case at all. You know, the, the, the idea of being completely self-sufficient is something of a misnomer. It's, it's not achievable in this day and age. If you want to do things like have a podcast, which I do, and talk to people like yourself from across the world, you know, unless I'm going to dig my own ore and smelt it and, you know, make my own circuit boards and all those kinds of things, it, you're just never going to do it. As soon as you right. take a piece of paper and a pen to write something down, you know, you're relying on the interconnected world that we live in now to deliver those products to you. And that's okay. All yeah. these things are okay. Yeah. So it's not, it's not about not reaping the benefits of living in this amazing society full of opportunity that we live in now. It's not about that. For me, mm-hmm. it was just about, it's twofold really. One was this deep connection I've always had with food and where our food comes from and, 
just being as involved as possible in producing a meal. I'm sure we'll get into all of these things in mm-hmm. a lot more detail, but, you know, just the idea of putting a, a plate of food on the table for your family and, you know, every single thing in there has come from your own hands right from the word go is really, really rewarding. So there was that. And then couple that with just this sense of being self-reliant, you know, like I always have been from the age of 16, growing up literally living in a tent in a field without permission mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know just never ever ever having to rely on anyone else I was in a position where I could take that to a whole new scale and really have fun with it and for me that's what it's about it's about I love the journey it's not about becoming self-sufficient it's about being more self-sufficient today than I was yesterday and enjoying the process really loving the steps of learning those things and by doing it it really does open your eyes, Beth, to where your food comes from. Even if you think you know, even if you think you're a conscientious shopper and all those kinds of things, there's nothing that will connect you more to where your food comes from than if you produce it yourself. And I'm super passionate about this. And it's what my podcast, my YouTube channel is all about. It's, It's really about showing everybody that wherever you live, even if you live in a flat, you can do some of these things and you can take small steps to take ownership of certain parts of your food supply chain. And it's something I'm really, really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Just spreading the word, you know, to to do it, because not only is it easy, it's also immensely rewarding in uh, through in, in a myriad of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, from as the listeners can hear the passion and and drive in your voice, they can also hear that you're um, obviously from Florida. And so, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, we're from- obviously we're growing <laughs> lemons and oranges and all yeah, those exactly. kinds of things that we no, so, grow. <laughs> so you grew up in the UK and you yeah. lived all over England. So you've lived uh, in an urban, suburban-y kind of vibe. You've lived in London, right? Am I right with that? Yeah. So so I haven't like moved all around the country, but I have lived at every end of the spectrum and everywhere in between right. talking about urban and country. You know, I right. really have. When I, when I grew up, we grew up on a little tiny village with like something like eight houses in. And oh it, it would be, yeah, literally. And it would be, if you wanted anything other than a postal box, it was a car journey away, you know, literally for a payphone or wow. anything else. It was a, it was a car journey. So uh, that's where I grew up. And I, and I grew up walking out of my back door and I could just walk for miles and it'd be fields and woods mm. and rivers. But I, and then I've also lived in central London and everywhere in between. And I have to say, I'm, I'm a bit of a social chameleon. I'm quite comfortable and happy in all of these different environments. I prefer mm-hmm. the country. I prefer the space and the privacy that that affords you and certainly a large garden, but I am socially very, very comfortable in all of those environments. No, I think that's great. But what's funny is it's not like you come from this long line of farmers. Like you kind of figured this out as you were going sort of, right? Like you jumped out of the airplane. Yeah. And you're making the parachute as you're falling, which is always very exciting. But how did you, so you guys moved into this beautiful house. That's really, it sounds like it's kind of from the, that movie, the holiday that uh, Kate Winslet's house. And so then the, with the thatched roof, that's what I'm thinking of. It's like the, beautiful. Yeah. I haven't yeah, seen okay. that. I haven't seen that movie, but no, you're fine. it's beautiful. It's we're very, very lucky. Yeah. It's a very popular <laughs> movie here in the U S <laughs> and when 
people think of the English countryside, a lot of times their mind goes there or like Downton Abbey. So, sure. um, and I'm sure it's a marriageable. So you guys get in this house, you're inspired by the land, you're inspired by where you are. Like some people would be in that position and feel like, holy shit, this is so overwhelming. Where do I begin? Like, how did you even start the process once you moved all your shit in and you looked around and you're like, wow, we got boxes. We got kids. We got to unpack. Yeah. Let's buy a pig, you know, like, yeah. Where, <laughs> <in> what order? <laughs> Did that, that was pretty much, that was pretty much oh the order. God. Yeah. We, well, we, um, the, the thing is because of the nature of the property, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we were moving house on a certain day. We moved in over the course of two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. It was really, you know, relaxed procedure. So, once we moved in, you know, everything was kind of unpacked as we went. So there was no big moving day. It was almost, almost as soon as we got here, there, there was vast areas of the garden that were overgrown because although the, the house was really well looked after, some of the garden wasn't, some of it was. It, to describe it, I think helps. So I say we've got eight acres around and it sounds ridiculous and it sounds, it's going to reinforce that stereotypical image of the Downton Abbey type gardens mm -hmm. and what have you, but there's around two and a half acres around the house of formal lawns and gardens now. Oh my God. Yeah. But, but yes, absolutely. Yes. And we're spoiled and it's amazing. And oh. if we had friends, it would be fantastic to entertain us. <laughs> we had but, friends. <laughs> oh, you have friends. They just don't live close. Oh, stop it. We, uh, we don't do a lot of entertaining as we said, but for, for us that, that, and it, and it sounds really spoiled and it is spoiled. And, and I acknowledge that for us, we would actually prefer not to have that. That's kind of almost like a tax mm. on living here is the maintenance of that. That's just like another form of rent. We have to maintain those lawns and hedges and formal gardens and all those things. And that's fine. That's not a complaint. No, uh, but if it you're were not, down we, to us, you're not a big fan of lawn mowing. Like you're not going to just put on your, your earbuds and put on some like, I don't know, whatever your cup of tea is in terms of music yeah. and what? you know, smoke a little well, pot it, and just get out there and <laughs> mow the lawn. Like it's not your well, It takes about four hours. Yeah. That, that's like hours. my, okay. So here, here's a fun fact about my husband, his dream job, dream job is to <laughs> mow the lawn on the highway in between like both sides of the highway in the middle. Like mm -hmm. he would mm -hmm. love that. The the catch 22 is he's highly allergic to cut grass. So it well, really- Well, that's not gonna work out too No, well. it's not, but he's obsessed with that fantasy in his head about that. So to him, like you could pay him his to go over there and maintain your lawns for free. Yeah. Just to well, mow that. <laughs> that, that's the thing see it's one thing when it's your job yeah and you've got a sort of designated portion of your time which is supposed to be doing that and that is what delivers you an income that you use to do other things sure. it's another thing and you know in the summer we might be cutting it twice a week so that Ooh. can take a huge chunk out of your available yeah. time because my wife and I both work full-time as well so the you know the lawns like i said they are that we consider them a bit of a tax but a tax we're more than happy to pay yeah and you've got older then, teenagers now that can start chipping in sort of yeah you'd think wouldn't you yeah you <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you would think. I know. I don't have any. I get it. I get it. In the perfect world, they would start. Yeah. But then, but then outside the formal lawns, we've got about roughly, everything's roughly, but roughly three acres of like grass, which would be our paddocks and things. And then we've got roughly another couple of acres of woodland, mm. which is fenced in. So we, we moved in and we, I was, li- you know, I would literally just walk around and go, what could we do with this space? What could we do with this space? And mm. you, we, we, um, I've always been interested in permaculture, which is just a, a form of gardening, really. It's it's a holistic form of gardening where you try and work with nature rather than against it. I've always had a slight interest in that, but I really dove headlong into that when we moved here. And so that kind of dictates to you how you lay the garden out, where you grow things for the best sun and all these kinds of things and rainfall. So I really put a lot of thought into it. And then within, you were saying, you know, what do you do first? The, I don't have the the issue that some people have of I I don't know where to start. I, I just started everything and I started far too much. And it was the biggest mistake I made really in the first year because yeah, in the, in the first year we had milking goats, we had pigs, we had, we probably went up to about 60 chickens. Oh we God. had a vegetable garden. I dug a pond and you know it was just far far too much and a lot of this was ground we had to reclaim it was all overgrown so we had to fight it back and and cut down loads and loads of brambles and thickets and you know we we installed a polytunnel only a little one but we did all this in the first year and I think really we'd have been better off just slowing down a little bit with that because there are things that just never got finished and just ended up falling by the wayside because I didn't take the time to really understand where I wanted things, how I wanted things, what I wanted to do, what was a priority, what wasn't. And, you know, I signed up on a beekeeping course and did all of these (laughs) things. And uh, yeah. And it was just, I was, I was running before I could walk, but I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I do look back on it, uh, back on it as, as a slight mistake insofar as, if I'd perhaps culled a couple of things, then I probably would have had a slightly more productive first year or two. But they, every mistake is a, it's a fantastic learning experience. And mm-hmm. one of the things I learn and what I do every year now, as well as my to-do list, I do a to-don't list. And there are some <laughs> like projects that I know I want to do, but I put them on my to-don't list for this year. And I make sure that I don't start them because there's, I know that if I try and start everything, it's a, it's a bit of a mistake. Good for you because I'm exactly like you in the sense of I get so excited about something. I want to do it all. I want to learn it all. I want to buy it all. I want to have it all. I want to, and then life happens. And it's not that I have EDD, but I do have an issue where I buy too much or I get too excited about something. And then next thing I know, I'm like, what am I going to do with this Japanese gold stuff that's supposed to glue pottery together, but it takes six months and it might sting (laughs) me like poison ivy. And uh, now I own four kits of it. Like what? And I don't even have any broken pottery. Like what the hell was I thinking? You know, I mean, I, I totally understand it on a much grander scale. That's gotta be, I mean, you said it beautifully. Every, every little, it's not even, mistakes or it's just a learning experience and it's how you reframe that and go forward and it's that's that's really important so what are you doing for what are some of your to do's for 2022 
Well, for 2022, we have one massive to do. And that is uh, after that story that I just gave you about how we yeah. ended up moving here, we, we found out just a few months ago that our landlord now is going to sell the property. So <gasps> we have got, I think, three or four months to basically relocate so that's the biggest to do is just to get that done and be settled somewhere else so we're not really sure what that looks like yet we're probably going to move back into our old house and the plan is hopefully to buy a field that's within walking distance so we can just transfer everything we've got here in the back garden into a field yeah. but it's all up in the air at the moment so so you still own your old house yes okay that was smart and this house, it's just not, we, we, it's just not an option to buy it at this point. No, absolutely not. Mm. It's, it's the, the value of it is probably five times the value of wow. the house we own. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed you in the lottery because you've put so much love and care into this <laughs> that yeah. it just, oh my God, Carl, that is a, that is, that is a twist and turn. I did not see coming. Um, <laughs> Jeez. But it's, I mean, but we're, we're looking at it all in such a positive light because it's been an absolute gift. Because mm. if we had never been given this opportunity, there's no doubt in my mind, I would have spent the last three and a half years that we've lived here working, coming home, watching Netflix, mm -hmm. going to bed, mm -hmm. getting up, doing it again. Yeah. And I, I just, I cannot tell you the, the difference, the, the transformation that this has made for my life going forward is just phenomenal. And I wouldn't change that for the world. I'm so much happier. I'm such a happier person. And I mean, there's so the, the benefits of growing your own food go far, far and above, above and beyond what people generally would, would think of initially. I, I can see, I call it the, uh, the self sorry, being sort of growing your own food and work towards self-sufficiency is like the Swiss army knife of sustainability because mm. there's so much that, that comes out of it. But on, and we'll talk about that later, hopefully mm -hmm. if there's time, but mm -hmm. in addition to all that, if you're someone who like me works in, and like most of us do, we work in jobs where there's a finish line and, and that's really, everybody's focus is always on the finish line. Whether you work in McDonald's and you are cooking the fries, you know, there's a finish line. You've got to get those fries in. You've got to get them out. There's that order. You've got to make that order. And the second you make the finish line, there's another one mm -hmm. straight away right there that you're striving towards. Whether you work in a media operation and there's a project that you're working on, you know, the end of the project, that's the deadline. If you're a builder like I am, the end of that project is the deadline. And there's lots of mini deadlines all the way through it. And we're always just shooting for that deadline aiming to get there as fast as we can and then the second we're there as soon as we look up there's another one well yeah growing your own food particularly plants but but right the way through obviously we raise meat and dairy and all those kinds of things but particularly plants it really connected me to and, and i meditate as well mm -hmm. but this this process really allowed me to to access the idea of impermanence from a completely different way, even than I can get through meditation. And the idea of just impermanence and nothing being permanent, and there is no finish line. When you're growing your own food, particularly when you do it in the sort of way that I am with permaculture principles, but also with the idea of we're trying to grow food all year round, you know, 
which you can do even in the UK, which gets, you know, quite chilly in the winter. Yeah. And you, but we're still growing food all year round. And there is no finish line because when that carrot is ready to be harvested, for instance, you might pull the carrots out and that doesn't mean it's finished because that piece of land you've probably got some seedlings ready to go in there for your next crop of something or other. And that's something you would have started quite some time ago, sowing those. You've got those seedlings ready to go in there. They're going to be nurtured. You take the carrot in the house, you discard and peel and take off whatever you're not going to use. And that, you know, it's not the end of the line for that. That's going to go into your compost bin or Mm. perhaps to feed your hens. The, The compost is going to rot down and that's going to feed the soil next year. Perhaps you're using it to feed your chickens. They're going to be laying your eggs. You're going to bring those eggs in. You're going to take the shells. You're going to reuse those, whether it's in compost or what have you. The byproduct of the chickens, the uh, the poo is going to be fantastic feed for your soil as well. And everything is just cyclical. There is no finish line. Nothing is ever finished. Oh. And you have to kind of accept that pretty early on or you, you're in for a hiding. So the idea that nothing's ever finished releases you from this constant rush towards deadlines. And Mm. it's just, it's, I cannot tell you how good it's been for my own personal mental health. It's just been phenomenal. And that was what I really started off by trying to get at was just this idea of the other benefits on top of all of the I mean, the benefits, they just go on and on, you know, the mental health benefits. And, and on top of that, the physical health benefits of being outside, doing physical stuff, rather than just coming home, sitting down and watching Netflix, being attached to nature, being connected to the seasons. These are all really, really good for us as a species. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you know, the, the sustainability benefits i'm not having all of that plastic packaging required for my food we don't talk about food miles very often we talk about food meters and Mm. you know all of that carbon that's required to get stuff where it needs to go we don't need any of that we are aware of exactly what's going into our bodies we know exactly how we're growing our food and why and what decisions we're making and why we're making them we're able to deliver and guarantee much higher benefits for our animals and animal welfare and the you know the the benefits just go on and on and on I could literally talk about this for hours <laughs> I love it no I'm I'm mesmerized I meditate too I've, I've been have I have had a strong meditation practice for a long long time and um I too believe that when you get your hands dirty in the earth because I have a very small you know four bed raised garden that I managed to uh try not to kill every, every spring and summer here in the new England area. But I, it's funny that you say, so I would love to touch on, cause we're, I think this is a great segue into talking more about what you're growing and how you're growing it. I would love to talk a little bit more about what permaculture is and some of the principles of it. And also what are you growing in these I'm using air quotes because it's not a dead season, but in a more dormant season or a, a more, I guess it would be more of a dormant like season as we think of it here, because yeah. you know, a lot of times my, when my garden ends in late fall this year, we had a warmer fall. So <clears throat> my tomatillos went, oh my God, like gangbusters until, mm-hmm. and those plants take over. 
Uh, they're worse than mint. I've never seen a tomatillo plant. I mean, they, if you've never grown them, my gosh, they, their branches will stretch and stretch and stretch. It, they are insane, but they went forever. And then finally, once everything, we had our first big cold snap and frost, everything just died, which, you know, great. I, I cleaned everything up. I tilled it all. I recomposted everything I could recompost. And then I didn't think to do anything else with the the beds, but it's so interesting mm-hmm. to hear there could be more life there. I just chose not to see it like that. So I'd love to talk more about that. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of things. So we, we certainly have, you know, we would call it the main crop season. Uh, you know, the main growing season is it will be the same as you and you're mm-hmm. harvesting really late summer and autumn is when you're harvesting all of those things. But with a little bit of forethought and diligence you can have things ready to go in the ground as soon as you pull those main crops out so for instance right now in our garden our garden is full of cabbages which are ready to harvest swedes which i think you call rutabagas yes which are which are (laughs) much maligned but a fantastic vegetable we love them you do and they're they're really good what they can be actually i like your term for it better than a rutabaga they um they can roast really well they're in soups i mean it's a great root veg yeah 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 for sure and we are also we've got a garden full of leeks Mm. i love leeks the flavor Mm -hmm. we get from leeks we've got some purple sprouting broccoli that's overwintering we've got perpetual spinach so we can still have fresh salads from the garden uh what else there, there even when do you guys is it snowing there i mean not snowing. it's not but it could be it's, it could be in january quite easily yeah i mean we get snow here not every and year spinach still grows not I'm... spinach perpet- well a type of spinach perpetual spinach it's a perpetual variety spinach. Okay. and it will basically so spinach is a really really fast growing crop yeah you can plant a seed and within 40 days or so you can be harvesting spinach perpetual spinach grows a little bit slower but it lasts much longer so we mm. would sow perpetual spinach that we sow right at the start of the year we might get lucky and that go through all summer but it could also bolt mm. and if you're not a grower bolting it basically means it's decided right i've done all of my <laughs> leaf growing and everything else (laughs) i'm now ready to reproduce Mm -hmm. and it turns all of its attention and its focus towards producing flowers and seeds Mm -hmm. that's what we mean by bolting and when it does that for lots and lots of our vegetables basically they don't necessarily become inedible some of them do but they certainly it changes the flavor profile and and Mm -hmm. we don't harvest vegetables once they've bolted or most of them so perpetual spinach once it's if you try and grow it through the summer there's a really good chance it's going to bolt doesn't mean you can't grow it you just grow it and then you would succession sow it Mm. which is you just sow some more every few weeks but if you sow it in the in the late summer towards the end of summer into autumn it's not going to get that heat and it will grow and get really really big i mean i'm talking sort of three or four feet high oh my god two or three feet wide these big bushes and it's basically spinach but it will go all winter then you can just harvest from it all winter another plant that we use exactly the same way as chard chard we would grow Mm. or we did grow and again we've got chard in the garden now that we can now harvest right through the winter and that will take us right through and so that's that's the first thing is just to think just to say if you think about 
like oh, and Brussels sprouts, obviously, everybody loves Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm, <laughs> We've mm-hmm. got Brussels sprouts in the garden as well now, which we're harvesting. So there, there are things you can harvest at any point in the year. And if you, the only problem is some of these things are really long season crops, like the Brussels sprouts. They had to be planted in the spring. So mm. you have to be able to give up that bit of space all year almost. But what you have to do really is think, what do I, what can start with what, you know, Google is your friend. What can I harvest in January? And then have a look, tick off the two or three that you want to have a go at and then think, right, if I want to harvest that in January, what do I sow? When do I sow it? It, mm-hmm. it really is that simple, you know, isn't it? There's no, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it is a case of being a bit diligent and being thoughtful. And in the middle of summer, when you're up to your eyeballs in harvesting and weeding and in my case preserving it's remembering that you also need to be sowing even though it looks like there's no room for anything else you still need to sow seeds otherwise you are going to have a a barren spell in the winter and even more so in what we call the hunger gap the hunger gap traditionally is really the spring at the end Mm. of winter when a lot of the winter crops have finished growing things for that gap is also crucial and again cabbages are a great one you mm-hmm. can if you if you get the right variety it's just about getting two or three different varieties you can literally be harvesting cabbages 12 months of the year there's no reason you can't do that yeah you gotta like cabbage and uh you uh need to the whole house needs to eat it because you could have some toots going on with so much um <laughs> cabbage in the yeah. house like i'm so impressed that you guys so for me i one of my one of my things that i have a tough time with is I get bored with food very easily if I eat the same thing over and over and over again. And so I, my hat is off to you that. Oh, well, I assure commit. you. We I, no, no, no. I assure you, we have a ridiculously varied diet. It is mm. as varied as anyone else's. I mean, you know, I, I cook, I cook all different types of cuisine. I cook Mm -hmm. Indian food. I cook Chinese food. I cook Caribbean food. I cook literally everything. There's nothing we don't cook here. And by preserving and Mm. I, I, I grow for gluts. Mm -hmm. So I purposely grow more than we're going to eat of as much things as I can. And then we, we save them. So we are really eating pretty much most things all year round. There are a few things you can't like fresh tomatoes. Yeah. You just, there's no way of preserving a fresh tomato, but we have preserved tomatoes. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we are all year. And, and of course we're not growing all of our food, you know, we're still buying rice and other things like that. And, and so it's not to say that you, if you if you do this it's not to say that we're eating you know nothing but cabbages at this time of year because we've got uh, butternut squash mm. pumpkins just just sat on the side because they'll preserve for months we've got a freezer full of green beans courgettes and all those summer crops so you know it's not we we're, we're really not the variety is not something we struggle for at that's all. A, that's a really good point. No, and I appreciate you saying that because once you then, it, my my mind went back to when you were like, oh yeah, in the summer we're preserving things. And it's like, oh, of course, that's some of the things you're eating <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, yeah. So it makes yeah, so much sure. sense. And like a beautiful preserved tomato that you plucked at the prime plucking season really does still have summer to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, this summer I went to a berry farm real close to us and I picked a ton of berries 
And then I flash froze them all. I washed them and then flash froze them all. And I just am at the very end of my berries that I have. And every time I open the little zippy in the freezer, I can still smell summer. Like it's still, yeah, yeah. and it's just, it, there's nothing like it. Um, so I imagine that when you're eating something, even your, your preserved or frozen things that you still have that, that twinge of summer too, because you oh, for sure the sunshine, even though it might not be directly on the vegetables, it still gets in their DNA. You can still taste it and smell summer when you, when you open those yeah. bags up. All right, you guys, that was the end of part one of the two-parter with my friend Carl from the UK. So tune in next week, and we're going to dive so much more into the topics we're talking about, as well as answer all of your listener questions. If you have more questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure, gmail.com. Tag me in your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. And of course, don't forget to go to my website for the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. Oh, that was a mouthful. Thank you guys for listening. Make some yummy food together this weekend. Lead with kindness and I'll see you next Friday. Bye.